So the question is this, how do you become a healthy, lean and fit vegan always having fun and making a sustainable lifestyle you enjoy living? If you want to know the secrets to losing fat effortlessly, building vegan muscle and positively impacting the people around you every single day, then this is the right podcast for you. I am Fritz Horstmann. This is the Vegan Fitness Podcast. Woohoo! And welcome back to the Vegan Fitness Podcast. In this episode, I interviewed Kunta Joysha, which was the first vegan to summit Mount Everest to climb the tallest mountain, the highest place on freaking earth. There's nothing taller than that. And not only that, he's also a super inspiring guy that wants you to achieve your goals, to start moving towards your goals and to just be passionate about it. So you will not only learn about his journey going to the yeah, tallest place on earth and yeah, beyond that, but also his mindset, what really counts if you want to achieve your goal, um, how he managed to climb it and what you can learn from it. So such an amazing episode. I'm so excited for you to listen to it. So let's dive right into it, right? Let's go. Yo, 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 Kunta, welcome to the show. Uh, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's a Sunday and looking forward to talking to you. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, you're an inspiring person with an amazing story. Um, that's what we want to talk about. Like, tell the listener about yourself, uh, my, my man. Like, let them know who you are, what you do, and what you are about. Right. <clears throat> so... I am a software engineer, uh, but at the same time, software engineering is just a means to an end. It just pays my bills and uh, that's why, you know, I write code, but uh, where my real passion lies is in climbing the big mountains in the Himalayas and uh, climbing them as a vegan. So that's what uh, drives me, that's what, you know, keeps me awake, training all these hours, That's what challenges with me. That's what, you know, gives me a lot of fun in my life. Uh, frankly speaking, uh, that's what life is for me. Climbing mountains, uh, doing a little bit of uh, vegan activism through my mountain climbs. Um, and rest of the time, spend with family and just have a good time. Yes, I love it, man. Um, I love it that you say, okay, I do um, yeah, computer work, but at the same time, I really passion um, is yeah mountaineering and um, it shows it shows that you are passionate about this so so glad to have you on and I find it very fascinating because um, like I know this podcast is about you and I will um, we'll talk about you um, but I quickly want to share like my story why I'm so honored and excited to have you on the show I mean so as a kid like I always uh, I binge watched all the Everest uh, documentaries that are out there uh, like crazy I was obsessed <laughs> with Mount E pretty much um, and all the drama, all the skill, all the history about this mountain uh, really fascinated me. And I always imagined what it would be like to be on top of the world and like frigging uh, 100 kilometer per hour winds <laughs> hitting your face, right? <laughs> um, and that's where uh, my passion for the mountains also started. Like, um, and five, six years ago, um, I myself climbed the tallest mountain in Germany, um, which was only like 3K um, meters, but Since then, I'm very much hooked uh, on, on hiking. And uh, I mean, I haven't climbed yet a lot, but um, I'm very excited about it as well. Um, my goal is definitely to do 
like the Kilimanjaro and a one um, 8K uh, mountain in the world. Um, but yeah, that's just about me. <laughs> um, that's why. Awesome, awesome. I'm... So by the way, even I ended up binge watching all the Everest movies. So I have every single DVD, like from all the Beyond the Limit seasons to the Everest IMAX movie to any movie that had even something to do with Everest. I bought it. I saw it. Frankly speaking, uh, in 2010, when I decided to climb Everest, um, I can tell you what I was. I was what I would call a domesticated, civilized human being running the nine to five rat race. I was the CEO of a Bombay based company and, uh, you know, very well paid and frankly speaking, life was good. I had never climbed a mountain in my life. Neither had anyone in my family climbed a mountain in their life. Forget climbing a mountain. No one would even climb a single floor in a building. (laughs) So, you know, I, I come from like, you know, my father has always, you know, been overweight. Like he was 125 kgs and you know, back in 2009, I was 110 kgs and I'd never wanted to climb mountains. It was not even my plans. And then I suddenly found Everest and, you know, one of the evenings, so I had just signed up for an Everest base camp trip and we had walked to the base camp. Now a day away from the base camp, there is this place called Pumori base camp and we were camped at Pumori base camp. Now Pumori base camp gives you some of the best views that you can get off Everest and so it was one of the evenings and we were at the dining tent. We were talking about, uh, you know, all sorts of things, pictures and stories and experiences, you know, just general friend chat. And then someone started shouting my name. So I quickly ran out to find out who's, you know, doing that. And there's this Sherpa guide of our standing. And he said, you know, look at Everest. And so I turn around and I look at Everest. The last rays of sunset are falling on Everest. Every other mountain is in the color of gray and blue, except Everest, which is burning golden in color. It's like, you know, you have this gigantic canvas with just Everest in the middle, completely burning golden in color. Like someone had lit the entire snow on fire. I mean, when I saw Everest that way, I'm like, man, this is the goal. This is the dream of my life. You know, right now standing here. I would rather be on, you know, I could be on top of moon or I could be on top of Everest. There's no difference between that. It's that (laughs) impossible to do. But, you know, this is the goal of my life. This is a dream of my life. And whatever happens, I'm going to, you know, do it. And that's where, you know, the whole process of me transforming myself, you know, to get to the point where I'm, I could go climb Everest started. So that was like, like if I retrospectively look back upon my journey, uh, I sort of think a big part in any journeys in life is to actually make a decision, set a goal and to show up. Mm. You know, most people are just so hesitant or just, you know, like, okay, what happens if this or what happens if I fail or what happens? And they're just in ifs and buts. And I, you know, as I look back upon my eight, nine year journey, I think it was just this point where I said, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get here and then just showing up and then starting the journey. I think that was, you know, like a very important point in my journey. Something that I wanted to share with your audience as well that, you know, look, if you are on any journey, it, taking this call, going all in is very, very important. Yes, 
hundred percent. And it's very fascinating what um, yeah, what you just shared that you just saw this um, amazing view of Mount Everest. And in this moment, you decided pretty much that you want to make it happen. And um, making the decision first is always the most important part. A lot of people just say, okay, yeah, I would like to. Um, yeah, depends on their goals, of course. This is a vegan fitness podcast, so maybe someone says, okay, I want to lose weight or maybe they also say like, I want to hike, I want to maybe do this mountain, but they're not really like uh, fired up about it. You know what I mean? Like they're not like, I want to really do it. I have this burning desire. And if you start with that, if you start with a burning desire and then set up a plan to get you there, then yeah, that's the two most important things actually um, to, to get this um, journey crushing. And, and that's amazing that you just shared that. And um, I mean, Let's dive right into it. Like you said, you saw this um, yeah, this view, this amazing view of Mount Everest, and that you decided to do it. Um, so give us your timeline. Like from that moment on, um, how many years did it take to get to the top of Mount Everest? And uh, what did you do in the meantime? How did you prep for this huge um, experience? Like before, um, like doing the base camp um, tour that you just taught us about, um, did you have like experience, like good mountaineering experience beforehand, or how did you prep for yeah, the biggest, the tallest mountain in the world? Right. <clears throat> so prior to going to base camp, I had practically zero mountaineering experience. I had done a lot of treks in the Himalaya, but I had never done any real serious mountain climbing. And so when I was at Pumori base camp, and you know, I had made this decision to climb Everest. I was talking to my expedition leader who was guiding us, you know, around the Everest Valley. And I asked him, Hey, you know what? You have been guiding people to the top of Everest for last 20 years. Uh, can you tell me what's the secret to climb Mount Everest? And uh, he told me, you know, a very, very, this, you know, this sentence that has stayed with me for, you know, since then and possibly will stay with me for the rest of my life. He said to climb to the top of the world, you need a top of the world body. And you need a top of the world mind and that there are no shortcuts to the top. And I right away realized that, you know, this is not like, Hey, I have the money. Let's sign up for the climb and let's go climb this mountain. That's not how this works. It's a process. I have to build the right amount of technical skills that will, you know, keep me safe on the mountain. I also have to build the right amount of physical fitness, you know, that will, help me again, you know, perform well on the mountain. And uh, if there are any issues like, you know, cardiac issues or anything, then I have to, you know, they like having a good physical fitness will be great. Uh, and about these two things, that is technical um, skills and physical fitness, I quickly realized that climbing big mountains is big time about mental stamina. And if you ask me like a, from a percentage perspective, it's almost 75% mental and 25% physical. So I knew that mental stamina is only going to come from just doing a lot of these things over and over again, over a period of time, just building right amount of experience, going and climbing in various kinds of terrain, going and failing in these expeditions, learning from my failures. So, I had to go through the whole experience. I could not just say, I'm going to go climb Everest tomorrow. Uh, I'm also an engineer by profession. So I like reverse engineering things. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest things for me was, Hey, yours, I have to climb Everest. What would be the steps it would take for me to get to the top? And 
I broke it down into, as I said, the three compartments. One was physical fitness, one was mental fitness, and one was technical fitness. And physical fitness, I quickly realized, was possibly the easiest to pursue. And let me tell you why. Physical fitness is something about if you are being consistent about it, and if you train, you know, like after listening to your body, and if you train a lot well. then given enough amount of time you will gain the physical fitness there's no rocket science behind physical fitness so i quickly realized let's take the easy part on first the second easier part was technical skills again this is something hey look i have learned engineering before and we as humans are learning all the time throughout all our lives so learning new skills sure it's hard but if you just apply consistency to even learning if you just sit down and say this is what i want to do you will learn it over you know once you go over a period of time so these two things were the ones that i focused on during the initial part of my journey and mental fitness everyone who climbs everest or everyone who climbs a big mountain or everyone who is into any kind of journey will have their own blueprint for you know becoming mentally tough hmm. for me uh i quickly realized that in 2010 when i made the decision that i want to climb everest i had a huge fear of heights and you know here's a guy who has huge fear of heights wanting to climb to the top of the world yeah. so you know it's like going on inside my mind all the time hey i can't even climb a 100 feet rock face stand on the top and look down how am i going to you know climb to the top of the world this is you know this how do i you know resolve this problem and so what i realized is that i actually have to confront my fears head on and this is you know something i said okay let's try it you know it may work it may not work so i signed up for a mountaineering course where i was going to be exposed to all the a lot of things that i was fearful of and frankly speaking the first couple of times i failed miserably like i still remember I was on this rock face of 200 feet, and uh, I was supposed I got up fine, but the moment I got up and I saw down, I told I told my expedition leader I'm not going down this way. Is there an easier way to go down? And uh, he's like, no, there's no easy way to go down. This is the only way. So then he gave me instructions how to do it, and I started doing it. Uh, but about halfway through, and fear and panic completely took me over. like i was like you know i didn't know what i was doing and if you have been in the if you have read about mountaineering then you would know that most accidents in mountain climbing happen during descent a lot of accident happen during rappelling and um, i still remember i was precariously placed on this big wall and my expedition leader shouting from the top kuntal if you are not going to listen to me then you are going to fucking die he like just shouted and you know i was on this wall completely scared and then in that moment i just completely snapped out of you know this panic and chaos and i'm like let's just listen to the expedition leader and do what he says and he said you know xyz and i did exactly those steps i got down and i realized that okay this is what happens to me when fear overtakes me or when panic overtakes me and this is how i can manage those fears and this is how i can you know deal with those fears so every time today when i am in a situation where panic completely consumes me 
I know that all I have to do is I have to just wait out that period. It could be a few seconds. It could be a few minutes. But I know that after that period, I will be like in serious calm. I will have all the focus. And then I can, you know, continue further and I can, you know, get out of the situation. So, sure. It's not as if, you know, it was a magic bullet and I'm, I, I suddenly am saying that I don't have any fears in life. I have tons of fears in life and tons of fears in climbing. It's just that I'm better able to manage those fears when I'm in those situations. So this was just one piece of my mental fitness, but there were several other such pieces that I had to do to, you know, sort of get to a situation where I said, okay, you know what? I have now done reasonable amount of things. I have climbed a whole bunch of mountains. I have, you know, done a solid mountaineering course. Uh, my physical fitness is, you know, I am very, very confident about it. I have climbed so many mountains. I have trained so many hours for over a period of four years. I'm reasonably confident. Let's sign up for an Everest expedition at this point. And, you know, let's go try. So this is how sort of, I would say, in terms of timeline, it all started in, like, seriously, it started in 2010. And then for the next three and a half to four years, I went and climbed like I was almost climbing three to four months a year. So I climbed enormous amounts of mountains. Uh, I was training like crazy. I was training six days a week and I would, I don't generally say, Hey, train for three hours or train for five hours. The number of hours is not important. It's the quality of your training. That is very, very important. Uh, and so I was training really hard. And I had gone through so many failures and I had built this really good mental stamina or at least I thought I had built. So after about four years, I thought I was ready. I was ready to take the final jump and go climb Everest. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. That's amazing, man. Um, very important that you broke it down like into three different parts, like fitness technique and also mental uh, strength, which is, which is um, 75%. Um, you said, and you also said, uh, which I very like this, um, that for fitness um, and for technique, it's mostly just consistency. Yeah. Showing up, uh, putting in the work, putting in the hours. Um, and if you do that, then you will learn uh, the techniques and also the, Uh, you also get fit because that's just what happens um, if you are consistent over time. So that's also an important message for the listeners. Well, you don't have to be perfect all the time with your right. workouts and um, with your nutrition and everything has to be said all the time. Of course, most of the time it should, but um, consistency is really key here. Um, so that's a big message. And also, of course, mental strength is a big part of your journey as well. Um, that's amazing. We'll dive into that um, more into detail later on. Um, but that's uh, cool that you broke it down so for us so we can understand what really goes into climbing the tallest freaking mountain in the world. Um, right. And um, that's, I mean, if you listen to this right now, it may seem like, okay, um, those, this seems like really easy, but I think if you put in uh, like the, the work that you said every single day, like six days a week for four years or more, um, it really adds up. And I think this is also what it takes. Like um, now nowadays, I imagine like, A lot of people that go to Everest and want to climb, but they don't have this kind of experience, right? They um, maybe have like no experience at all climbing, climbing any mountains. They just buy a guide and um, yeah, get guided on top. I mean, I don't know. Maybe all of them have experience, but what I heard is that um, it's getting worse and worse. So people um, go on top with no experience at all. And that's very dangerous, not only for them, but also for the people around them, right? Um, so 
um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, so the, so yes, I do agree that today a lot of people showing up on Everest uh, have lesser experience and have put in less amount of time than a lot of us have. But also look at, if you look at an overall big picture, a significant majority of people who are coming to Everest know what they are getting into, have balanced big time between their lives and their careers and their all other responsibilities, have put an enormous amount of time, have made a lot of sacrifices, have spent a lot of money in getting there. And they have, most of them have, tend to have a fair bit of experience as well. Now, uh, with in recent past, in last few years, at least, you know, four or five years since I have been in the Everest scene, uh, there are people who come like literally who wake up from their couch and say, hey, I'm going to go climb Everest. And, you know, they like, you know, get the money from somewhere and they actually show up. They are so bad. They don't even know how to wear their boots. They don't even know that uh, the crampons that attach on your boots, that there is a different right crampon and then there is a different left crampon. Sometimes they have the crampons switched in the on their boots. It's, you know, that bad. They don't know how to wear their harnesses. They they essentially have no clue what they're doing. It's just that they they think that climbing Everest is cool or climbing Everest is going to get them a lot of fame and glory. And, you know, they are going to be in the newspapers and, you know, they're going to be, uh, you know, getting to do motivational talks and they're going to be able to make a lot of money mm. and a whole bunch of whole slew of reasons why people are coming to Everest today rather than saying, look, I'm not judging anyone. But for me personally, Everest uh, was a very personal dream. It, you know, look, coming from a community that has never climbed mountains in their life, uh, having a full-time job, uh, you know, ha- being in no physical fitness shape, practically anyone who I told that I'm climbing Everest for the first time said impossible. You just cannot do it. You cannot climb Everest. None of, I mean, most layman people cannot climb Everest. So, at the beginning of this journey, most people said uh, it was impossible. I had my own self-doubts. You know, I said, hey, I'm a vegan. No vegan has climbed Everest. You know, how am I going to pull that off? You look at my physical fitness shape. You know, I'm, I've never been a physical fitness guy. So how am I going to climb Everest? You know, am I willing to sacrifice my career to go climb Everest? So all these self-doubts, all these people saying impossible. So for me, it was a very personal journey saying that, hey, I want to climb Everest. I want to prove to no one else but just myself that I can do it, that I can take a project, that I can take a dream, I can go on the journey, I can transform myself, become a physical fitness superman, become a mental fitness superman, get to the top of the world. So it was a very personal journey. There was nothing like, I didn't give a shit, you know, about a Facebook like or, a, you know, someone calling me for a motivational talk. I didn't give a shit, basically. It was just saying, I want to get on top of Everest. I want to go on this journey, see how this journey works out. And, you know, that's all. There's nothing. There's no ulterior motive. There's no other motive. There's just one motive. Let's go on this personal journey to climb to the top of the world and see whether I can do it. Didn't want to prove anyone wrong. So that was my personal thing. But today, a lot of people are coming for a lot of reasons. And um, one of the things that I want to try and do, especially in India, uh, you know, you had sent me this message about, hey, the startup idea sounds cool. And so the startup that I'm essentially working on, uh, I'm seeing this big gap in the Everest or the big mountain climbing scene. I see that all these people are coming. They have no clue how to climb Everest. 
today if you go and type on google how to train to climb everest you will get millions of hits you will have no idea how to actually do it there is no one to mentor you from the time you incept the dream that you want to climb everest to the time you get to the very top of the world there is actually no mentor who can you know do the whole thing for you for me i made so many mistakes on the journey and finally got to the top of the world and i've learned from my journey so what i want to do is i want to come in and i want to change the culture i want people to be physically fit i want people to be mountain fit i want people to be mentally fit before deciding that hey we should go climb everest so i want to be their mentor and this is the sort of the idea i am working on that i want to change the culture i want to bring back respect to you know the mountain today people take everest very lightly a lot of people tell me hey everest is a walk in the park but you know look i have climbed everest when i was at camp 4 inside the death zone i was so freaking afraid i thought you know if i sleep here will i be able to wake up the next morning every single second that you spend inside the death zone you are closer to your death that's why it's called the death zone and so there's just so much going on you are so miserable the temperature is minus 35 your fingers are cold your toes are cold you don't know if you are going to get a frostbite it's just incessantly steep climbing just hammers your body hammers your mind and through all these challenges you know you focus put one step in front of another and get to the top i have been through this journey it's not walk in the park by any means you know climbing everest if you ask me i have been climbing mountains for now what 9 years has to be the hardest thing i have ever done in my entire life this is not even just about everest any other endeavor that i have taken climbing everest has been the hardest thing of course i recently climbed lotse or about 2 months ago mm-hmm. the sister mountain of everest and that now tops everest you know lotse was far harder than everest but mm. i'm just saying you know it's like when people say it's a walk in the park or anyone can do it it's all bullshit they have not come they're just armchair mountaineers they, have, they just don't know what is going on on the mountain you know i would invite everyone come you know undergo all this misery let's see if you can do it i mean yes there are sometimes people who come on the mountain with least amount of training and they get lucky but let me tell you that out of 100 such people maybe one or two make it to the top of the world everyone else goes back home with some injury or the other uh this year alone on everest 50 people had frostbitten fingers and toes mm. out of 350 people on the mountain 50 got frostbitten and frostbitten toes that is a huge number most people never talk about these people most people don't talk about the people who have such a hacking cough that the ribs just break there are so many injuries on the mountain no one talks about these injuries because all people can care about is hey look but 200 people submitted but do you know in what circumstances those 200 people submitted so no one talks about these things so this is what i want to tell people that climbing everest is serious business your life is on the line um uh, all the time better come prepared better put yourself in such a place that you don't fail don't set up yourself for failure you're going to spend so much money and time you know better go you know full, fully prepared yes yes oh that's very very inspiring um or well, shocking actually what you just uh, shared with us like 
um, people, like you just said, people always think like from, um, yeah, even even though Mount Everest is the tallest mountain in the world, it's not that technical. It's easy to do and stuff. Um, but if you if you didn't go on top, if you weren't there, then you can't talk about it, right? So um, right. You're still in the death zone, you're still um, facing these winds. You're also facing uh, what I heard, um, like long lines. Like a lot of people want to go, have to wait in line to get on top. And that's where you probably get these frostbites as well. Um, so you can never underestimate the tallest um, place in the world, right? So, and that's an important message. And uh, you can definitely uh, sign me up for your um, startup and your training. <laughs> I will, um, if I qualify uh, with my um, with my experience, then I will definitely join. But that's very exciting stuff that you are building there. And um, I definitely um, want to share this with my audience as well and keep you posted. Um, so great things that you're doing there, man. Um, so. Let's dive more into uh, the nutrition side of things because this is a vegan fitness podcast and we talk about uh, plant-based nutrition a lot. So sure. um, tell us, like, when along the way, when when along your mountaineering um, career um, did you go vegan? So I was actually a mountaineer far before. Uh, I was actually vegan far before I became a mountaineer. Uh, mm-hmm. I became vegan in uh, sometime in about November or December 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been about 16 years that I have been a vegan and I went vegan purely for uh, ethical and animal right reasons. Uh, I was born and brought up in a vegetarian family, so I have never tasted meat or anything in my life. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes vegetarians are very hypocritical. They all, they will say that we won't eat meat, but they will end up wearing wool. They will end up wearing leather and they will end up eating a lot of eggs and those kind of things. So I was sort of that kind of a vegetarian. Uh, Now, in 2001, I went to the US to do my master's. And uh, one of my roommates actually would always question my choices. Like, you know, if I would buy an ice cream with an egg in it, he he would be like, hey, why are you eating an ice cream with egg? Or if, you know, I'm wearing a leather belt or a woolen uh, sweater, he would say, hey, why are you wearing a leather belt? You know, why are you wearing animals? And, you know, I would most of the times just ignore him. Uh, But then he started sharing with me a lot of literature about uh, veganism and about the horrors of the dairy and the egg industry. And so I started reading about it. And at the end of my research, one of the days I just realized that there is no difference between a piece of steak or a belt of leather and a glass of milk. And if I'm not eating a piece of steak, then why am I drinking milk? You know, it just doesn't make sense. The amount of cruelty involved in all of these things is equal. And if you ask me, amount of cruelty involved in the dairy industry is far more than the meat industry. Because in dairy industry, the cows are exploited for years in years out. And at the end of it, they're anyways going to get slaughtered. So it would be better if the cow is just slaughtered and, you know, let go of the, you know, all the suffering or, you know, of all this five years or 10 years of, you know, milk and all this, you know, stuff that goes through. So I'm looking at this and I'm connecting the dots and I'm saying, you know what, the only way I can be at peace with myself and, you know, be compassionate towards my fellow, you know, non-human animals is that I have to go vegan. There is just absolutely no other way. So that day I went in my house and I found out every single thing in my home that was uh, non-vegan 
like everything from my shampoo to my soap to my food items to my clothing items anything practically that was possible in my hand like i cannot say that hey the building that you know that i'm living in has to also be vegan like it has to be built with vegan glue you know i can't do those things those those things you know are practically impossible to pull off but whatever was in my hand i took all of those things and uh, santa monica is where i used to live santa monica is a great city because it you know is home to you know a lot of diverse communities and and they are very accepting of homeless people which is you know something i really like uh, mm-hmm. so i went to, to one of the community shelters and i said hey look guys i have all these things i'm not going to use but i don't want to waste if you want anything feel free to take it from here and from that day onwards i was a vegan and it was it was tricky in the beginning because mm-hmm. i was the only vegan i knew of even when i was living in santa monica because i was you know not friends with any other vegans but just over a period of time i got became part of communities and started getting a lot more support and started figuring out a lot more alternatives and in process i actually started leading a healthier lifestyle so i became vegan for animals but my health was a huge by product out of this entire decision like uh, i just could realize that i'm now eating suddenly a lot more vegetables i'm suddenly eating a lot more fruits and i'm just you know making healthier choices it was not as if i was making costly choices a lot of people think that veganism is very costly but look i was not earning a lot of money so it's not like i was going and eating out every day or i was you know going and buying fancy stuff and everything i was just buying regular produce uh, and you know just cooking at home a lot more and I, it was just a great journey to be on I, i mean i was sitting and thinking this is so awesome you know i don't kill any animals in any way and i'm getting back my own health you know like that was like the start of me for my vegan journey and of course you know sometimes you also uh, during the journey you also tend to become a junk food vegan and at some point i became a junk food vegan so it, i would i would not say it was necessarily a bad phase but it's just that you know i enjoyed the junk food uh, that you know like a lot of really nice burgers and fries and and america was going through a vegan revolution at that time so there were these all these fancy restaurants i would go eat out and i was just you know not very healthy at some point in my journey and then of course in 2010 i decided that i wanted to climb everest and when i started working out to build my physical fitness for everest the first thing i realized is that as a junk food vegan i was just not getting the performance benefits like i would go in and i would do a workout and i would be so knackered from the workout that for the next 3 or 4 days i would not work out again i was just taking too much time to recover so initially i thought that maybe i need to start slowly because that's i'm going too fast that's why i'm getting you know knackered and i'm not able to recover so i started going slowly but things still didn't change for me then i started thinking maybe it's my form that is bad so i need to work on my form and i need to you know do the exercises in the correct fashion and not just you know do them randomly or you know in any kind of fashion so i even fixed my form and i was still not recovering and uh, i said okay you know what fuel which is the food that you eat throughout the day is also something that matters a lot because if your fuel fuel is not correct then maybe you know it, it may not give you the performance so i sat down and i decided that you know i need to start eating healthy 
you know, I, I was a junk food vegan, but I really need to, you know, become someone who goes back to how I started. Eat more vegetables, eat more fruits, eat more legumes, eat more beans, start eating more whole. You know, let's remove the bread out of the diet. Let's remove refined oil. Let's remove refined sugar out of the diet. Let's just focus on the basic, simple, great nutritional food. And as soon as I started changing my diet, in a few weeks, I already started seeing huge performance benefits. I would not say I suddenly overnight became a vegan Superman or something. <laughs> but uh, the biggest benefit that I got was I was able to recover faster. That I was able to recover, I was able to go in and I was able to put in more and more workouts. That's when I realized, sure, you know, climb to the top of the world is about top of the world body. But top of the world body is also big time about nutrition. Which is when I started focusing a lot more on my nutrition and became razor sharp focused about my nutrition. So leading up to Everest, practically 85 to 90% of the time, I was a whole foods uh, vegan. I, I would say I was more on a high carbohydrate and a very low fat diet. That's something mm -hmm. I even follow today. Uh, as m Every time during the year when I'm training, I practically am a whole food vegan uh, because this is something that I know gives me the benefits in my performance. Uh, I will occasionally cheat in terms of, uh, I will go and have a junk food vegan meal. In terms of my veganism itself, in 16 years, I have never slipped even once. I have never cheated even once. That's something I'm very, very, very clear about uh, that this is, you know, what defines me. This is what my value system is. But when I'm training, I will occasionally enjoy a junk food vegan meal. For me, that is okay. I don't beat up myself over it. That, hey, you know, I feel so guilty. I ate all these calories and, you know, these all these unhealthy calories. That's okay. You know, once a while, it's okay. Instead of constantly thinking about it, I'm fine. So that's what sort of my nutritional journey has been at a very high level. Yes. Okay, and I love the last message um, that you just shared with us um, that you don't have to beat yourself up if you uh, yeah eat a junk food meal uh, once in once in a yeah once in a while. You don't have to beat yourself up about it. You don't have to be worried about it too much. And if the rest of your diet is on point, if you hit if you eat all your fruits, all your legumes, all your vegetables, um, and hit your nutrient needs through that, and also your protein needs, then you can definitely junk food um also um like i said don't have to worry about it and for you especially i mean you're training a lot i, I imagine throughout the year and uh, you have to eat a very calorie dense um diet i would say so you can uh, yeah actually get the calories in back that you just burn by training all the time um like i calculated yesterday like just for hiking like seven hours a day um like that's what i calculated i don't know if the calculator is 100 accurate But I calculated like for me around 1600 calories burned uh, just by yeah hiking for seven hours. And then, yeah, you have to get those calories back in else you will feel weak the next day. You will feel right. tired. Um, so right. once in a time, once, yeah, once in a while, a junk food will actually help you um, get the energy that you need. Um, but it's amazing that you went through this journey from yeah being a junk food vegan to eating mostly whole foods and it really helped you. I would say climb uh, Everest. If you would have climbed Everest on a junk food diet, maybe would have been uh, more difficult. Um, or not maybe I would definitely say it would have been more difficult. But um, yeah, how does 
how does uh, what do you eat um, like at seven or eight k uh, meters above sea um, sea level? Like uh, I imagine <laughs> you um, don't eat any acai balls there. <laughs> um, so what does uh, what do you eat like when you're on top of the world? I mean, of course, it depends um, on on base camp level five k meters. Um, you have more availability availability, I would say. But what do we eat like in the death zone or what we eat like at 7K meters? Um, yeah, what do you typically eat there? Right. So my tra my diet when I'm training is completely different from my diet when I'm on the mountain. Mm -hmm. uh, when I'm on the mountain, all I care about is that the food should be vegan. I do not care if it's deep fried or if it's the most unhealthiest stuff on the mountain. I will eat it. Uh, now... As you mentioned, rightly mentioned that at base camp, there's a lot more availability. So at a base camp, we have a full-blown kitchen where we can cook whatever we want. I have eaten everything from a pizza to a burger to even a nice vegan cake, freshly baked and, you know, awesome. cinnamon rolls and, and practically all the Indian food, all the Indian junk food, everything. So I've eaten everything at the base camp. Uh, I have been working with this agency, uh, with this climbing agency for last few years. And one of the things that I've been able to do is work with the two head cooks of the agency and make them understand why I climb as a vegan and why it is important for me that you guys learn what veganism is uh, and that, you know, you guys provide me the right nutrition because food is very, very important when you're climbing big mountains, especially when you are at the base camp. Uh, at the same time, I also understand that uh, these cooks are under some severe stress working at, you know, 19, 20,000 feet, cooking all these food for us, maintaining a big kitchen, running it. So I also help them, you know, sort of veganize things in a very easy way. It should not feel to them like, you know, we are undergoing a big burden that, you know, hey, this guy is like, you know, so demanding he's coming here yeah. all the way to climb a mountain and he's asking for us all this fancy stuff no <laughs> so you know i just wanted to give them a message that hey you know this is this is how you veganize a thing in this easy way so for example if they're making oatmeal for the team most of the times they put milk powder inside the oatmeal and so i'm very clear hey you know look oatmeal is made from oats and water and milk powder can always be added at the very last step so once the oatmeal is done with oats and water, you can just remove a bowl for me and make it with the milk powder for the rest of the team. So, you know, it's like in this way, I've sat down, I've seen how they work. I have seen that what would be the easiest way for them to cook vegan food for me. And, you know, their life would be easy. My life would be easy. So at base camp, things are fairly sorted, fairly straightforward. But the challenges begin once you start going above 7K. That's where, you know, whole bunch of challenges start. Now, the issue about 7K is that there is very less oxygen in the environment. I should say the air pressure is less due to which the oxygen available to your body is less. Uh, so what tends to happen is that your body is conserving the amount of oxygen is, it is getting for your brain and for your heart. Consequently, lesser oxygen is going to your digestive system, which mm. means your digestive system is incredibly slow. Now, at this point, if you're going to be putting a lot of fat or a lot of protein in your body, it's just incredibly difficult for your digestive system to break it down. Additionally, if, even if you're putting too much complex carbohydrates in your body, that's also difficult for your body to digest. 
द बेस्ट थिंग टू ईट वंस यू आर अबाउट सेवन के इज सिंपल कार्बोहाइड्रेट्स जस्ट द सिंपलेस्ट कार्बोहाइड्रेट्स दैट यू कैन फाइंड और असेंशियली लॉट ऑफ जंक फूड इज ऑल्सो सिंपल कार्बोहाइड्रेट्स सो पीस ऑफ वाइट ब्रेड यू नो मेड फ्रॉम रिफाइंड फ्लावर is simple carbohydrates it's fairly easy for your body to break down and consume and turn it into uh, energy and you know available to you for use so simpler things like you know having like an electrolyte powder which is mixed with a lot of uh, simple carbohydrates uh, basically essentially something like a gatorade or any other energy drink in the market but a vegan version of it so something like that or simple you know how you have dates so dates bar would be really really nice food you know eating at that altitude or just a candy like a you know sugar candy would be a great food to eat at that altitude uh, a lot of unhealthy snacks that are available in the market like a potato chips would be also you know some good food to eat on the mountain so uh, other problem is since your body's digestive system is not getting all this oxygen and the food is not getting digested you also feel full all the time you don't feel like eating but at the same time you need the calories imagine if at sea level of just 7 hours of hiking you need 1600 calories when you are at 7k and if you are climbing about 10 to 12 hours a day over that steep terrain you could easily be needing 4 5 maybe even 6000 calories Absolutely. now if you are not putting anything in your body how are you going to you know what are you going to get your energy from i mean how far can your body go without energy so it's smarter to you know get into a habit of just eating something even if you don't feel like eating and so at these times i tell people that have you know sort of a, a like hey these are my comfort food snacks like you know i like oreo cookies or you know i like x y and z these are comfort foods like a bottle of coke these things you can drink or eat any time even if you're not hungry so typically you know i have this small idea of comfort food stash and if i'm not hungry i would just you know eat my comfort food and if you look at it one oreo cookie is 50 calories so yes. if i ate 10 oreo cookies then i would be getting 500 calories that's a lot of calories on the mountain for me if if i had to eat some serious food like a pasta i would not be able to get through that food but 10 oreo cookies is fairly straightforward to get through so these are the kind of techniques that you know i have used uh now at 8k inside the death zone or above 8k as you start walking it becomes a lot trickier to start eating food so you start depending a lot more on liquid calories this is where energy gels or just you know powdered electrolytes with carbohydrates uh, these things or you know just uh, date dates is what i do sometimes is in in my jackets in my inner pockets i just stash a lot of dates and dried figs and mm. i just you know stash a lot of these things so when i'm walking and if i'm breaking i just unzip it a little bit you know put my hand in remove and you know just start eating these dates and dried figs awesome. and they are like really nice energy uh and you know just keep sipping on the electrolytes uh with you know the which also have some fair bit of calories so it's not really like at 8k i have really not managed to eat a lot of food it's just how it is it's just how everyone is uh so a lot of 
this also comes from your mental training so one of the things that i did add a, a little late in my training is every month or every two months i will do this one hike which will be a very long hike about 16 18 or 20 hour hike and during this hike i don't drink any water and i don't drink any food mm. now in a in a way it's not a smart thing to do because i'm damaging my muscles and i'm damaging my body and i'm not you know not doing justice to it but it also means that i'm mentally training for a situation like that if it ever occurs like if things go south on everest and if i'm you know like injured or if i'm lost or if i'm you know just going to be without food for a couple of days if i've never trained like that in my life how is my body going to react at 8500 meters i don't know i would rather have some training some sea level training so that if that situation ever occurs at 8500 meters my brain can at least you know adjust to the fact that hey okay i can be fine without eating any food it's okay you know we'll we'll manage we'll we'll get through this situation so in the 3 8000 meter summits that i have done until now uh, i have not eaten much food the the most of the times all i try and do is you know put some dates and figs in my pockets uh, take the electrolyte drink and try and take some dark chocolate with myself because i really like dark chocolate and so i you know there are a whole bunch of really nice vegan dark chocolates so i have them with me and most of the times i enjoy them on the summit Yes, that's that's actually pretty interesting. Um, that it really the, the digestion really slows down that much that you yeah just re rely on these simple carbohydrates um, and also uh, what you would usually call junk food to just get you through. Because as you said, like you burn so many calories, you got to get them in somewhere. <laughs> and um, if you don't if you don't feel like eating, then uh, you will lose a lot of weight if you don't eat right, and uh, you will feel weak. And you will have a higher um, risk of, yeah, of um, right. of, of dying. To be honest, like you have to you have to get these calories in. So that's um, that's fascinating, actually. So um, going back to the real world, you could say, uh, what does a full day of eating currently look like? Like um, from morning to evening, what do you uh, at the moment eat every single day as a vegan mountaineer uh, wanting to perform? And also name three staple foods. Um, that you feel like you need every day to perform. So I'll tell you what my morning to evening looks like. Uh, for my breakfast and for my lunch, my entire meal for the entire year is pre-decided. I never change my breakfast and lunch throughout the year when I'm training. My breakfast mm -hmm. is exactly the same thing every single day since last 15 months or so. Uh, this breakfast is essentially I take a bowl of oats. Uh, I soak these oats in water for about a couple of hours. I don't really like the hot oatmeal, so what I do is I have a really nice blender at home. I put the oats in the blender. I put a lot of water in it, or sometimes I'll put some soy milk in it, like uh, just pure soy milk. This is soybeans and water. That's all. So I'll just put that uh, in the oats. I will let the oats soak for about a couple of hours. Once the oats are soaked enough and you know like soft and everything. I will put in a couple of bananas in this, and I will put a few dates in these, and then I will put uh, maybe three, four pieces of walnuts in these. Uh, some day when I don't have dates at home, I will take a few raisins and I will soak the raisins into the oats when I am, you know, soaking the oats, and I will just make a smoothie out of this. And it's about you know close to seven to eight hundred ml, or sometimes even more. 
and I will just drink this. This is my breakfast. I don't have anything else for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, for lunch, my entire week is divided. Uh, Monday and Wednesday, I have something called mung beans. Mm. So these mung beans are boiled. Uh, for Tuesday and Thursday, I have red kidney beans or white kidney beans. For s- Friday, I will have chickpeas. And for Saturday and for Sunday, I will just have lentils. Now, most of the times what I will do is I will take the mung beans and I will mix the mung beans with about four, about three to four bowls of raw vegetables. Mm-hmm. This could be just any vegetables that are available in my home. It could be a tomato, onion, uh, or green pepper, a carrot, a beet, uh, anything that is, you know, just at my home. I will just, you know, cut it and make sure that the quantity is about three uh, bowls or so and I will mix the mung beans with the vegetables and uh, if I am up for it I will make some dressing but most of the days I don't like you know cooking or you know spending enough time after you know all these things so to me I'll just add a little bit of salt on top of this a little bit of lemon on top of this uh, mix it and just eat it it tastes not good at all like no one in my home can eat this food, but to me, taste is completely secondary. To me, the nutrition part of this whole meal mm. is very important. So this is typically my lunch throughout the week. Dinner tends to be a big problem because uh, my family tends to eat a lot of junk food for dinner. And uh, sometimes, you know, I'm looking at them, I'm like, man, you know what? I want to eat this or, you know, hey, maybe I want to eat this. A lot of times that happens, but what I will typically end up doing is whatever junk food they are making, like if they are making a a deep fried, uh, uh, you know, potato ball or something, then uh, I will not deep fry the potatoes. I will just keep potatoes on the side. I will mash the potatoes. I will wrap it in a whole wheat uh, roll or something. I will grill it and I will just eat it. So I will try and make a non-junk food version of the junk food version that my home is making. Mm -hmm. That's typically what my dinner tends to be. My dinner is not very well-defined, but my lunch and my breakfast are well-defined. And in the, throughout the day, every time I want to snack, I tend to eat fruits as my snacks. And I have no limits on the amount of fruits I eat uh, because I train fairly hard. So I know that, you know, all this calories, you know, first of all, I don't consider fruit calories, bad calories. So I, I just don't count count calories when it comes to fruits. I just eat as many as I want. So sometimes it could be two bananas in the morning. Then I will eat uh, an orange. Then I will eat an apple. Then I will eat maybe a full pomegranate. And then, you know, if I'm more up to it, I may just eat a few apricots. So whatever, you know, I just don't say, hey, I'm going to eat like two fruits a day. No, there'll be days when I will eat two. There'll be days when I will eat six. There'll be days when I eat 10. I'm okay. I'm, you know, no, no such thing. But I try and snack on fruits throughout the day because otherwise what I tend to do is there are a lot of deep fried snacks in my home, a lot of junk food snacks in my home. And sometimes I go and eat those. So by habit now I have decided if I want to eat, if I, if I like, if I'm coding and if I get up off my desk and if I go walk in the kitchen, then I compulsory have to eat fruit. I cannot go and eat anything that is, you know, junk food. So I, you know, that's also like really nice because fruits are great calories and they also help me with my workouts. So I tend to end up eating around 25 to 2800 calories a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and so that I'm I never try and create a calorie deficit. So if my BMR is around 17 or 1800 calories, then I will never try and go below that. I will always be above that. And if let's say if I'm 2800 calories and if my workout is 7 800 calories, then I'm still a little you know 300 400 200 300 calories above my BMR. Like I will never try and create a deficit. Like I don't want to lose weight or that's not my goal. My goal is to stay healthy, stay fit, be able to work out really nicely, be able to recover and just overall eat generally good food and stay hydrated through the day. So I drink enough water through the day. Uh, I get ample of sleep during the day. So if I am training hard, I will ensure that I'm getting 10 hours of sleep. It may not be all 10 hours together. So it may be seven hours in the night and three hours during the afternoon. So I ensure that, you know, I quickly realize that if I'm sleeping less, then I'm just not recovering. My knees, you know, feel wonky. You know, there's some soreness somewhere in the body. But if I get ample of sleep, then I know, you know, hey, I'm nice. I'm really nicely recovered. I can go push myself in the workout. So I try and generally keep a healthy lifestyle in terms of food, in terms of the amount of water I consume in a day and amount of sleep I do in the day. Because I think it's fairly important considering I have to constantly keep climbing throughout the year. And then I also have to balance it with my work responsibility. So if I'm not doing all this, I think it's not fair towards my own body. And it's not fair towards my family. Because if I'm sick and if I'm not, you know, making the most out of it, it's not worth it. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I like that you um, have this routine um, that you, yeah, breakfast and lunch is pretty much um, set all the time, the whole year. And uh, you just know exactly what to eat and what to do. It's also for a listener important to understand that, um, yeah, we are creatures of habit. We, um, yeah, we do things we don't even know we do just because of habit. And if you make healthy nutrition a habit and just um, schedule it in your calendar and stick to the same foods, uh, make it, of course, tasty for you, then this whole journey will also be easier for you to eat healthier and to reach your goal. And um, so your three staple foods um, are like oats, um, some kind of beans or legumes, and what would be the third one? Like three staple foods that we need to perform. So beans, legumes, vegetables, oats, fruits. I even though you said three, I'll you know <laughs> say more. Yeah. Oats, legumes, veggies, fruits, and dates. Like I cannot live without dates. Like I <laughs> I will easily consume like five kilo dates in a month. Like I just love, I love dates. it. Yeah. Yeah, I love them too. <laughs> They're the best. I love it. The quick energy it gives also before right. workouts is amazing. Okay, so um, let's dive um, a bit more again into like a mindset you talked about before. It's super important. It's like 75% um, of what really counts um, if you want to reach the top of Everest. Um, like what did you think about uh, to motivate yourself every step? Like I remember hearing that um, on Everest, like in the, in the high um, altitudes, Like one step forward is like a two or three deep breaths that you have to take and then you can like move on and take another step. Like what do you think about all the time? How do you motivate yourself to keep going? So first of all, when I'm climbing, I'm not thinking about anything. My mind is as blank as it can get. And I have to tell you that it's one of the most spiritual. I, w I don't know if I believe in spirituality, but If there's any spirituality, it's that. Uh, it's it's so insanely crazy when I'm climbing. 
I'm in that very microsecond or even a nanosecond of that moment, living that moment to the fullest, not even thinking about a minute in future, not thinking about past at all, just saying myself one step in front of another and that's it. Not thinking about the summit, not thinking about any milestones, not thinking about anything. Just keep climbing, just keep climbing. This is what I enjoy doing. This is what I like doing. I mean, the state that we are in, it's almost a state that a lot of people in the world do drugs to get into. And, you know, I just get it for free by just going and climbing. And so I really don't have to motivate myself at all when I'm climbing. Like, I am I am there because I'm motivated. It's not the other way around. I, I don't have to motivate myself when I'm climbing. Um, but at the other end, if you are talking from a bigger picture, um, I think one of the things is that once I made Everest my dream and my goal of my life, at that point, I never, ever, since 2010 to the time I got to the top in 2016, not even once did I think that I'm not going to make it to the top or not even once did I think that I'm going to quit. That feeling just did not come in my mind. I was always very, very razor sharp focused. Like every single decision that I have made after 2010, every decision was made keeping Everest in mind that, hey, I have to climb Everest. My life was completely built around Everest. I ate, slept, dreamt Everest every moment of my life. It was like, it was, you know, if you take a horse and put the blinders on that, ho- on that horse and that horse can only see one thing that is forward and, there, and, and its goal, I was that horse. I could not see anything other than Everest. Uh, I, a lot of people call this obsession. But frankly speaking, if you want to climb Everest and you want to stay alive, you better be obsessed about Everest. And it, it, it has its it it has its disadvantages because you disconnect from your family, you disconnect from your friends, you disconnect from the world, you disconnect from everything, and you are only connected to your goal and what takes you towards your goal. So sometimes it makes you very selfish and very self-centered. Uh, but but let me tell you, uh, you know I I I th- thought about all of those. Sometimes I even felt guilty about all of those things. But to me, going on this personal journey and getting to the top was so important. And was that's the only thing that made sense in my life. And sure, so you know, my family had to make a lot of sacrifices. Uh, but I sat down with them, I spoke to them about that. And without my wife, uh, Dipti, and without my mother, Bharti's support, frankly speaking, I would have not made it to the top of the world. You know, when I am going out there and climbing... My wife, my mother, they are all taking care of the home. They are taking care of my father who's completely bedridden. You know, my wife bathes my father. She changes her his diapers. She feeds him food. She puts him to sleep. She does everything for my father. And this is the kind of incredible support and teamwork which put me on top of the world. So sure, you know, I went on my personal journey, but they also were all on this journey with me. And um, I mean, it's it's during... All these times, you know, this, you know, a lot of times people ask, like, you know, I think, hey, someone got injured on Everest. Hey, someone died on Everest. Someone, you know, lost fingers and toes on on their Everest. A lot of people pay a lot of prizes on Everest. And come to think of it, I didn't even get a sunburn on Everest. You know, 
I mean, I trained incredibly hard, but through this entire process, I got detached from my family quite a bit. And so when Everest was out of my life, you know, I didn't have a goal. I didn't have a dream. Okay. Now Everest is done. There was this, you know, huge emotional emptiness in my life. I'm like, mm. man, what do you do? You know, it's just, what next? You know, Everest is gone. Of course, you know, I found my next Everest and that's how life is. You know, you find your Everests and you constantly keep on going on these transformational journeys. But yeah, this is, you know, sort of what happened in terms of the mental mindset on Everest. Yes. Yes. That's, that's also very inspirational. Like um, obsession is not a bad thing. Like if you want to, to do this difficult thing that you want to achieve, um, then you have to put your mind to it and also be obsessed about it. And um, other areas of your life have to step down a little bit if that's your priority. And especially um, when you have such a big goal as you had. So um, definitely props to you. And uh, I mean, yeah, you made it and you are crushing it again, 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 again. So um, that's amazing. And the next thing that really interests me um, from, yeah, from a vegan perspective again Uh, when you reach top, you hold up a sign uh, saying, yeah, vegan, I support vegan or um, animals like this, um, the sign that you hold up. Um, you had probably like, uh, you knew that you this would get a lot of press. So uh, when you hold up the vegan sign, why did you choose to do that? So first of all, in 2010, when I got into, like I said, I want to climb Everest. I went on to the expedition uh, agency's website and I started reading about nutrition. Majority of the nutrition that they said was around eating a lot of meat and eating a lot of dairy and eating a lot of eggs. And even when I like was signing up in, at a gym here in Mumbai, the trainer said that you have to eat a lot of eggs. You have to eat a lot of meat. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, like, why are these guys wanting me to convert from vegan to, you know, eating animals again. So I was very clear when I decided that I want to climb Everest, that I'm going to climb Everest as a vegan or that I'm not going to climb it at all. So I was very clear from that mindset. And I quickly realized during the initial part of my journey that, you know, food was okay. I mean, vegan food is pretty great in terms of, you know, just the amount of nutrition and the calories you get. Uh, it's just great food. I mean, look at most of the elite athletes today, right from Novak Djokovic to the Sis Selena, you know, Williams sisters to someone like a Lewis Hamilton to someone like Lionel Messi to a whole bunch of athletes, even in the mountain, uh, in, in the rock climbing world, most of them are vegan. So it's not as if, you know, I was doing something uh, that was, you know, out of the place, but in the pure high altitude mountaineering world, I was doing something that was never heard of. So a lot of my teammates, a lot of my expedition leaders would always tell me, you're not going to succeed, you know, climbing as a vegan. So in this matter, I did have a chip on my shoulder and I did want to prove the world that vegans can do it and that vegans can do it in style. And which is why it was very important for me when I, you know, got to the top of the world, I had an opportunity to take a lot of flags. I get a lot of flack because I did not take India flag. So when mm. I was on top of Everest, I didn't have an India flag, but I did have a vegan flag. And that was a choice that I made because the only flag that I wanted to hoist on top of Everest was the vegan flag. And I wanted to shout to everyone from the top of the world that look, if a 110 kilo Gujarati guy 
who has absolutely no genetic gift whatsoever from his ancestors can go on a journey where he can transform you know from that to becoming a seriously good physical fitness and a mental fitness person and achieve the biggest physical endeavor or biggest mental endeavor on the planet of climbing to the top of everest as a vegan then none of you guys have any excuses anymore you know if you are telling me that hey you know vegans don't have killer instinct or hey vegans don't get nutrition that someone like me should never have gotten to the top of everest just as simple as that so a message that i wanted to clearly send to everyone was vegans can do it and vegans can do it in style and that vegan diet or lifestyle does not lack anything or it does not is not a compromise it's the it's the way to go that's what that's why i took the vegan flag i love it and it's the biggest the biggest sign of of um, that you can have strength and power as a vegan like if you can reach the tallest uh, place in the world on a vegan on a plant based diet then uh, you can do anything with a plant based diet so uh, very powerful and um, yeah i have to say thank you for doing that because it really generated a lot of um, positive positive um, yeah movement i think and positive uh, positivity around the vegan movement and uh, a lot of more people and um, i imagine went vegan or um, are now more interested in it and um, after you um, yeah took that picture so thank you for that thank you for Uh, being a positive uh, role model and being so yeah open about it as well and um, always yeah wanting to help people along the way so that's amazing um, like out of personal curiosity like um, what's like your next goals for the coming years like which mountains um, do you want to climb and what are maybe like right now what are you training for uh, right at this moment so uh so one of the things that i have to say okshar oh, i'm called the first vegan on everest but i have to be very clear that everest still has not has a true vegan reach the summit of everest when i climbed to the top of everest i still wore a suit which was made from down feathers mm. and i do not consider myself the first vegan in the world to climb everest i have to clarify that because i consider a vegan to be someone who is a vegan from dietary perspective as well as a vegan from gear perspective sure my 95% of my gear was vegan but that one piece of equipment that was hyper critical to my success because it was going to save me from minus 50c and you know 100 km per hour winds that was this one piece himalayan suit that was made from down feathers since 2014 i have been working really hard to reach out to gear companies asking them to create a synthetic suit for me it's just that most of them have written to me saying that it is an impossible project first of all you are the only one asking for it second the technology is just not there to be able to create a synthetic suit so for everest i made this one time decision that i'm going to go climb everest as a vegan wearing a down suit sure that is a problem but that i just want to first show the world that vegans can do it that you know i have been a vegan for 16 years and that you know i did it now when i came home i again got back to the project of finding a one piece synthetic suit over the you know over the course i uh, reached out to this company called save the duck it's an italian based uh, fashion company that makes you know fashion winter garments and you know fashion insulation jackets and those kind of things uh, i knew that they had the technology so i wrote to them saying 
hey can you build a synthetic suit for me so they built a synthetic suit for me and earlier this year when i climbed lotse when i reached the very top of lotse i was wearing a synthetic suit mm. i was wearing synthetic mittens and i was a 100% vegan from a dietary and a gear perspective and in my opinion this is the first ever vegan expedition a true vegan expedition on an 8000 meter mountain by a human being uh now that i have gone and i have proved that there is technology to climb big mountains as a full vegan if i get an opportunity i want to go and climb everest again i want to now go take this suit to the top of the world and tell people hey look yours a full vegan on the very top of the world so if i get the money and if i get the support i will surely go and climb everest again uh but if i don't then i will you know keep training and i will keep you know getting ready for whatever the next expedition uh, you know that i want to go on at the moment i still haven't decided which one but yeah okay so right now you are not really training for one specific mountain but just um keeping yourself fit and then deciding on what to do next right right okay okay cool cool um amazing so um this was it for the yeah the detailed questions um, about you and your journey what i like to do uh, at the end of the podcast is always like do a quick hot seat is what i call it where i um uh, just ask you like um quick yeah rapid fire questions where you just answer okay. uh, yes or no or you choose between two different things um which should be a lot of fun so are you ready for the hot seat i am let's go let's go man okay so coffee or tea coffee Okay, uh, hummus or guacamole? Hummus. Oh, that was a fast answer. <laughs> I haven't had it before. <laughs> okay, awesome. Um so if you had to only eat one fruit for the rest of your life, fruit, not food, but fruit, um which one would it be? Banana. Okay. Um if you could give one, just one book to everyone you know, uh which one would it be? No shortcuts to the top by a mountaineer called Ed Vistoors. Okay, no shortcuts to the top. No shortcuts to the top by a very very famous American mountaineer Ed Vistoors. Okay, amazing man. I will definitely read that. Um, that's cool. And now you got to finish the sentence. Um, after come back from the summit, I I ate a lot of food, <laughs> a lot of <laughs> vegan junk food. A lot of vegan goodness. I love it, uh, my man. Thank you so much for coming on the show on the Vegan Fitness Podcast and sharing your journey. I think it was an amazing episode. Uh, where can people find you, connect with you, um, work with you, or yeah, just reach out? Uh, people can either connect with me on my website www.kuntaljoysher.com. I'll send it to you. Uh, and people can follow me on Instagram. That's where I'm the most active. and my handle is kuntal j that's where i'm the most active yes amazing i will link everything in the show notes so people can definitely reach you um and maybe connect with you or work with you in the future since you got um your project going on as well so i'm also excited for that keep me definitely definitely keep me posted on that as well and yeah sure. thank you so much for joining um this um was an amazing show and uh, have a great great day and uh, we talk soon do you have any last thank words Um, I think all I want to give a message to, to you know, your audience is, uh, 
look, I went and climbed. I so we didn't go into a, my Everest journey, but people can always read about that. That, but I tried climbing Everest in 2014 and 2015, and both the times I could not climb due to a natural disaster and some accidents on the mountain. But I stayed on track. I kept focus. I passionately followed my dream and went and climbed Everest in 2016. So all you folks who want to go on your dream journeys. You, there'll be a lot of obstacles. There'll be a lot of failures in your journeys, but the most important thing is to not give up, stay focused, and I'm pretty sure all of you will get to the top of your dreams. Yes, I love it. Thank you so much, and peace out. Yes, yes. What did you think? What an amazing episode again. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, please do me a favor and subscribe to my podcast and rate it on iTunes. It's very much appreciated. We hear each other in the next episode. Until then, keep up the vegan vibes.